presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Kelly Caulfield, and I'm the executive director of the Common Sense Institute. Thank you so much for joining us today. Just last month, CSI Common Sense Institute released our latest crime report titled The Cost of Crime and Its Economic Impact on Colorado. The report examines how criminal activity costs both communities and citizens with its financial costs and how much could be saved by curbing crime rates. The report found that in 2022, the total cost of crime in Colorado was $27.2 billion. That's equivalent to $4,600 per Coloradan, a staggering statistic. I'm excited today to jump into this topic even further with two of our fellows. I am joined by George Brockler and Mitch Morrissey, who are Common Sense Institute's 2023 Owens Early Criminal Justice Fellows, as well as the co-authors of this latest report on the cost of crime. Just a quick bio on both of them. For those who don't know, George Brockler served as the elected district attorney for the 18th Judicial District, Colorado's most populous district. As a state prosecutor, he handled the felony cases from the Columbine High School mass shooting case, the Aurora Theater mass shooting case, and recently the STEM Academy School mass shooting case. We appreciate George for his service, and we're very honored to have him as one of our fellows. We're also joined today by Mitch Morrissey. Mitch was elected district attorney for the 2nd Judicial District from 2005 to 2017. Prior to that, Mitch was a trial lawyer in the Denver District Attorney's Office beginning in 1983. After leaving the Denver DA's office in 2017, Mitch co-founded United Data Connect, which has become a leader in solving cold case murders and other crimes using investigative genetic genealogy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. So, George, before we jump into the details of the report, could you explain what the cost of crime is referring to? What's included in that term? Yeah, that's such a good question, Kelly, because you wonder how do you just add up some numbers to come up with a cost of crime? The good news is there's already an established model for this that tries to break down these two different categories. One of them, uh, it's the tangible costs of crime, and one is the intangible. The intangible costs of crime, a little more speculative, but still things that are very real and quantifiable, and those would include the quality of life type impacts of crime. The other ones are the tangible impacts. And it's all the things that you can imagine related to crime, including, oh, uh, medical bills, mental health costs, lost productivity, the cost of property that's lost, uh, all the public services related, all the things we use, including the costs of law enforcement, the investigation, the adjudicative, adjudicative process through the courts. All of those things add up to make tangible, add the intangible, and boom, you get the cost of crime. Thanks, George. On that same idea, I'm curious, when you were writing this report with Mitch, which crimes were the most expensive to society and which ones were the least expensive? I would say first a big shout out to Stephen Byers. He is the economist that helped pull together a lot of this information and work with Mitch and I on presenting it. And one of the things that should come as no surprise to anyone is the idea that the most expensive crime per crime is the worst crime you can imagine, which would be murder. 
And that's a problem for Colorado because we've seen an 18% increase in murder. And each of those murders runs about $8.8 million in terms of the cost of crime. The lower crimes tend to be the ones that are less related to crimes against person. Identifiable lower-level property crimes tend to be the ones that have the least amount of impact. Thank you, George. I want to turn to Mitch Snell. In your report, it goes into substantial detail when looking at crime rates and significant comparisons across all of Colorado's counties. When you and George were analyzing the county-by-county data, help our audience understand which counties had the highest levels of crime and what surprised you? Well, I think that every single one of the reports that we've done, we've kind of looked at crime a different way. So somebody that's reading the report that's interested in knowing the crime rate in their county can go to the report and we have it all right out there. Pueblo always sticks out. Unfortunately, in the last three reports, Pueblo is always in the top 10 of almost any kind of crime. Uh, this In this report, Pueblo County came in second, actually, to Adams County. And then Denver always hovers around first, second, or third. And Denver comes in uh, third. And the thing that surprised me the most about, we broke it out, the number of crimes, we also broke it out cost per resident. And I think that the people of Adams County, um, the cost per resident for Adams County is over $10,000 per resident. So to be at the t- this top of this list is not a good thing. If you combine Denver and Adams County, which most people know are joined in certain places, that's 40% of the crime in the state of Colorado. That's Almost half the crime in Colorado is taking place in these two counties, and they are only 21% of the population of the state of Colorado. And so a lot of the counties that are having the most problems are all around the metropolitan area, and then, of course, Pueblo, which I don't consider in the metropolitan area. Mitch, that's really interesting. I appreciate you walking us through those statistics and and naming those different counties, but What do you think is going on there? I mean, what is your best understanding of why those counties are showing up again and again in the top five and the top ten? Because of these reports we've been doing, because we've been monitoring what's going on with law enforcement in the state of Colorado, every department that I work with, both in my company where we're trying to solve cold cases, uh, they're all overworked, they're all understaffed. And what I'm seeing in places like Lakewood, which is in Jeffco, and Jeffco's high up on this list, I know that Denver's down hundreds of officers. When you don't have law enforcement out there enforcing the law, and when they don't have budget, a lot of them have budget to hire people, but they're having a lot of trouble hiring people. And so I'll bet you if you go through all those cities in Adams County and you include the sheriff's department in Adams County, and I've known people that have worked in those departments. I knew the sheriff. I know the sheriff. Uh, they're hardworking law enforcement people, but I guarantee you that crime is overwhelming them based on the lack of officers that they have. I agree, and I know that there's some additional CSI reports, including one of ours from public safety fellow Chief Paul Pazin that digs a lot more into the policing numbers. So thanks for bringing that up. The good news is 
when you were talking in terms of billions and billions of dollars, 27.2 billion is unacceptable, but it's less than it was, what, last year or two years? I mean, we were up over right. $30 billion mm-hmm. last year. So there is some good news here. And I think the good news comes in the fact that a very expensive crime is being redu- has been reduced, at least in the last year, and that's sexual assault. I think next to rape, next mm-hmm. to homicide, it's one of the most expensive when you do the tangible and intangible calculation. And I think that that's what's driven this number down, is that we're seeing a reduction in sex assaults, which to me, and I know to George as well, that's good news. That really is good news. There's fewer women and children being raped in our communities. That is good news. Thanks for sharing that, Mitch. I agree. We want to highlight the positives here where we can. George, I want to bring you back into this conversation. Objection. It was interesting in this report, and I think um, it's important for us to talk about it more. Um, Dr. Byers and you and Mitch, and looking at crime in a, a few different ways, we did some interesting analyses. And we tried to do some scenarios that showed what would it look like if crime was zero? What would be the economic benefits to Colorado if crime was eradicated? And again, while we can agree that this may never completely happen, help us understand what some of those economic benefits would be if we decreased our crime rate that drastically, George. First, let's acknowledge that if that were true... Being district attorney would be an incredibly boring job, and it would probably turn into a part-time volunteer position if there were no crimes. The other thing that we discovered is, and this is what I appreciate about Dr. Byer's approach to this and how CSI has approached sort of balancing this, is it isn't just a question of whatever the economic benefits might be. And there are economic benefits. I mean, no doubt about it, for every 1% decrease in the number of crimes, 474 jobs are created. There's a $56.2 million positive impact to gross domestic product. Those are all very positive things. But we also employ a ton of people in the Department of Corrections. We have parole officers. We have the DOC guards, the administration. It's an entire industry, if you will, that would also be impacted if we just simply had zero prisoners left. And that total employment would be around 10,335 lost jobs and gross domestic product would fall by $1.08 billion. However using that 1% decrease number, if we were to decrease crime to zero, we get an economic positive impact of gross domestic product of $1.8 billion and an increase in employment of $17,335. That doesn't include things like the increased money in folks' pocket from the decrease in insurance premiums from the drop in crime. There's one other aspect of, of this I wanted to talk about, and it's more than intangible, it's incalculable, and it's something that Mitch touched upon too. We've seen this very important decrease in the sex assault cases, what we call rapes in the state of Colorado. It is impossible to truly measure or quantify with dollars, even through the intangible model, even through the quality of life, the actual impact to each individual victim of a rape and how it changes the trajectory of their lives. So that is something I think people ought to appreciate about this. This is an incredibly good, incredibly accurate model for measuring costs, but at best, it is conservative. 
Thanks for sharing that, George, and multi-generational pain and cost that that That's can right. um, yeah, happen from, a, from that victim. I thought those are really interesting statistics that you just shared. And I think another one that Dr. Byers had also elevated was the impact of insurance premiums. I thought this was really interesting that if those insurance premiums, it's something we can all relate to, right? Like we, almost all of us, we have a car, we're lucky enough to have a car. We see that cost each month or every six months, depending on how your payment's structured. But if insurance premiums were to decrease by 25% as a result of crime falling to zero, consumers would have $1.7 billion more Dang, in their pockets to spend as a part of the Colorado economy. And that would according to our models, would also add 40,000 jobs and increase GDP by almost $5 billion. So really interesting how you guys sliced and diced this and helping Coloradans understand the cost that we all pay if you're the victim or if you're not. We all are experiencing higher insurance premiums because of growing auto theft and other crimes. But, you know, George and Mitch, you know, before we do some takeaways I'm really interested in what you all are talking about in the positives here, this reduction in, in sex crimes, rape. I'd like to hear from both of you, whoever wants to start should, but you know, why do you think that is, why do you think that crime is um, reducing in Colorado? Well, I think that, uh, and George probably has recognized this, that uh, throughout the state of Colorado, more and more law enforcement agencies, counties are getting together, regions are getting together. They are building crime labs in Colorado, and I think that that makes a big difference. If you think about the one crime where you're almost guaranteed to have DNA because of the exchange of fluids, that kind of thing, is sexual assault. And I know was a prosecutor a little sooner than George was. But I remember back in the day when the, there were newspapers and the newspapers said that, you know, they'd have a guy that was titled and certainly in Denver, but there'd be a park. He'd be called the Cheeseman Park Rapist, the Highline Canal Rapist, those kinds of guys. And you're not seeing that because they're getting caught, maybe not the first time, but the second time. Instead of the 11th time, and it's been a five-year reign of terror. Now, there are still serial rapists out there. Don't kid yourself. Um, they're out there. The, the thing is, though, at the end of my time in the DA's office, the last trial I had, I was convinced we were trying an 18-year-old serial rapist. He was good for the one we were trying, and he was good for one in, in Georgia's jurisdiction, got convicted in both. We caught him with DNA. You know, without DNA, he might still be out there. He might be you know, pushing 30 now and have 12 rapes instead of two rapes. So I think that the forensics around sexual assault are very, you know, everybody's educated themselves. The victims know their bodies are crime scenes. Um, they preserve evidence. If they have it, they don't jump in the shower like they used to when I started as a prosecutor. And I think that it is the communities investing in those crime labs and forensics in the state of Colorado that has helped driving this number down. The technology and the advancements really are amazing. And thank goodness for that, for the victims. George, what would you add? 
it's along the lines of what Mitch said here, but it's more about resources. What we have seen are areas that invest resources in the idea of crime fighting and crime prevention and accountability tend to see the greatest economic impact in a positive way from those decisions. We did that report earlier on about Colorado Springs versus Denver. Colorado Springs invested significant money into their crime fighting, and they saw this precipitous drop in property crimes and fraud and some other things. When Mitch talks about the crime lab, and he probably wouldn't say this, but I'll tell you, is that um, that Denver crime lab is kind of the crown jewel of crime labs, if not in the state of Colorado, in this region of the country. And when I was DA, we got together with law enforcement and decided that kind of investment of resources would do exactly what Mitch said, and that is to put us in a much better position to early identify not only offenders, but to exclude the people who are actually innocent of the crimes. And so we ended up coming together, Arapahoe, uh, Douglas County, Aurora, DA's office, and we created the Uniform Metro Forensic Crime Lab, which if you put the letters together, UMFCL, it, it sounds out umfuckle. I don't know why it does that. It has done great things that it has tried to, I think, take the Denver model and make it fit a very diverse, more rural and complicated area. And I think that that's been huge. The other thing that you can look at, and this is a, I didn't expect this. If you look at the combination of Adams County and Denver, they make up about 21% of the population of the state of Colorado. So about one in five Coloradans live in those two giant metro area counties. And yet they are responsible for two in five of the crimes that are committed in the state of Colorado. That is remarkable. That is an eye-opening statistic for both Adams, which, as it turns out, based on these statistics, has the highest concentration of crime of any county in the state. That is a wake-up call, in my opinion, to the policymakers and law enforcement in those communities to ask the question, are we investing the kinds of resources in the places we need to to have that positive impact? And then the final thing I'd say, Kelly, is, and you brought this up, I hadn't thought about this till we were sitting around the, the table here, but it seems like any legislation that would work to reduce the number of crimes and crime rate, it's actually a jobs bill. Do you know what I mean? That does as much as taking money and throwing it into any other industry or startup thing that we want to do. Crime reduction is a jobs bill. The thing I would add about Adams County is I think that to a degree they are getting the message. They are opening a crime lab. Adams oh, County is opening a crime lab. I know people that have been recruited to work there. You know, seasoned people from CBI have been offered uh, to come and work there in their DNA section. So I think that Adams County understands the situation they're in, and that's an investment they're making. But I wouldn't go away from George's point about Colorado Springs. When we compared Denver and Colorado Springs in a report that we did a few months ago, the investment the city was making there was reducing crime in that city. And that investment was in boots on the ground, cops. And Denver wasn't making that investment, and Denver wasn't seeing the reduction. Now, both of them, of course, were above the state average because they're cities and you know, they're not in Yuma or someplace like that where, and some of these counties don't even report any crime in Colorado might be a good place to move. You know, that investment's being made in Colorado Springs and that is turning the tide there. And I think that 
you know, things like forensics, those kinds of investments, they're big investments. They cost your community a lot of money, but the payoff is there and you can see the studies and understand what's going on. When you're investing a dollar in a forensic science like DNA, you're getting the biggest bang for your buck that you can get in any other thing you spend in law enforcement. And to see what Colorado Springs was doing under Mayor Southers, incredible. It was cost per resident was pretty high, but they were driving down their crime rate. Those are great examples, Mitch, and thank you, George. I'm going to ask you, though, because the audience for this podcast, we've got a lot of local leaders listening, but I bet we have a lot of state policymakers listening also. We've talked a lot about the need to invest in technology, forensic units. I'm hearing a lot of calls to action that maybe if I'm sitting on a city council or if I'm a mayor, maybe there's some things I, I could do or a DA. Help me think about state policymakers, the state legislature, our, our governor. You know, when you think about this report and the economic impacts that CSI was able to calculate, what's your call to action to our state leaders? Is there a role that they could be playing to reduce the crime and improve our overall economy's functioning with that reduced crime? Who would like to take that one. I would say that the efforts that the legislature has engaged in as of late, uh, and they may be couched in terms of criminal justice reform or social justice reform or bail reform, all of these efforts have been an attempt in their mind to try to address some root causes of crime and to address the impact of crime, not on victims and not on the community, but on the offenders themselves. And what we've seen as a result is a greater number of offenders on the street for a longer period of time. And we know with Colorado ranking fourth in the country in terms of recidivism rate, that just leads to more crime. You know, at the state level, what I would ask is for folks like whoever it is to be governor of the state of Colorado to appoint people to the parole board who have a better sense of what recidivism really looks like and whether or not somebody can be trusted to be repatriated back into their community before they go back and commit new crimes. I'd like to see the legislature put a halt to their emptying out of the prisons and forcing bail and bond to become largely cashless. And we've seen a couple states do that. None of them have reported better outcomes in terms of their crime rates. I want them to take a pause from this idea that we're going to make things better for everybody else by focusing on, quote unquote, harm reduction for those folks that are committing most of the crimes and then in terms of the investment of dollars, I think they, read to, they need to look at this report and see that exactly what Mitch said is true. Every buck they spend in the right areas in criminal justice is actually a buck towards increasing the economy and the number of jobs we have. I think that that's the important thing when we, try, when we tie crime to the economy and the impact. I think it opens people's eyes. You know, there was just a, a mayor's race in Denver, and I was asked a lot on, and actually interviewed the top six, was part of an interview of the top six, so was George, candidates. And, you know, I really kind of felt sorry for them because they have whoever becomes the mayor of a major city. John Southers' term limit. There's going to be a new mayor in, in Colorado Springs. We've got a new mayor in Denver. They're hamstrung. They're hamstrung by the legislature and the governor. 
They are passing laws that are making it almost impossible to enforce and keep your city safe. And there was a good example, and thank goodness it got beat down, where you couldn't arrest somebody for assault. Now, you that might be fine in Yuma. You give them a ticket, they go home, cool down. But in Lodo, in Denver... They walk out of the bar, they get their gun out of their car, and if they both do it, you've got nine people getting shot like you did the night that the Denver Nuggets won the NBA championship. Those are real things that go on in a city, and if a legislature passes a ridiculous bill like that bill and it becomes law, you have handcuffed every law enforcement person in the state of Colorado. Those are the kinds of things that you really have to watch for. And the governor should be vetoing ridiculous bills if they come out like that. But George is right about, you know, and I read a editorial today about the DA that replaced me stepping down. And basically the editorial was saying the experiment has failed. It is time to get people that fight crime back into positions and allow them to do that by going back, looking at the unintended consequences of the bills that you've been passing for the last 15 years, see why we have this huge spike in crime, and do something about it. The governor needs to do that, and the legislature needs to do that. And George knows the strong people in the legislature, and they understand what's going on and have tried, but their hands have been tied, too, based on the control of the legislature and who's controlling it. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a tease, because what I think local leaders can look at is a model that was advanced by Aurora. And that was they, they surveyed what the state was doing with things like motor vehicle theft and retail theft, and they saw it as largely ineffective and untimely in their response. And they thought, you know what? Let's stop caring about whether or not the charge itself results in a misdemeanor conviction or a felony conviction. Instead, let's use our powers at the municipal level to pass laws, and they can only be misdemeanors at the most, where there will be the promise of some type of incarceration as accountability for these acts, and we know that we'll, we'll impose them more quickly, more reliably, more predictably. And they've done that now. And so we have over about a year's worth of data coming in on motor vehicle theft from Aurora. We've got data coming in on the retail theft change. And I think what Mitch and I and Stephen and, and probably Chris are going to do is to sit down and try to figure out what happened as a result? How does it compare to the cities around it that haven't taken that approach? And whether or not this is a good model for other cities to emulate. And this is coming from a guy who was a district attorney who was responsible for prosecuting state statutes. And it should be embarrassing to state leaders to have municipalities saying, I no longer trust or count on you to help keep us safe. We're just going to do it ourselves. And if this works... I could see a lot more municipalities starting to say, what did Aurora do here and why why don't we do it where we live? Thank you so much, Mitch and George, and thank you for uplifting such a good and helpful, tangible example with Aurora. 
I appreciate everything you all do for the Institute. It's always extremely interesting to hear your insights on this report. And as Mitch noted at the beginning, we did see that reduction. So the cost of crime is a report that CSI has been doing annually. And we did see that decrease from 21 to 22. So it is my hope we're back here next year, hopefully seeing another decrease. To learn more about the full CSI report and to check out CSI's other reports, please check out our website at commonsenseinstituteco.org. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.